Section 34 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 3. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rositer Johnson, and John Rudd. Julian the Apostate Becomes Emperor of Rome. A.D. 360, by Edward Gibbon, Part 1. The great reign of Constantine was ended. The new capital, Constantinople, which after fifteen centuries still perpetuates the name of its imperial founder, had outrivaled Rome. The heirs of Constantine, the sons of Fausta, had all been called Caesar, and were appointed to succeed to imperial power. Constantine, Constantius, and Constance, they were named. They held court in different parts of the realm during their father's life, although he reserved for himself the title of Augustus. The last years of his reign of thirty years had been peaceful, disturbed only by the insurrection in Cyprus and the wars of the Goths and Sarmatians. And so he died and the purple and diadem were but empty symbols, and he lay in state upon his golden bed. The great emperor was no sooner dead than the sons made haste to rid themselves of all possible rivals in a family that seemed too numerous for peace. Two uncles and seven cousins were quickly put out of the way, under one pretense and another. The provinces were divided between the three brothers, and they reigned peacefully for three years, until Constantine demanded the surrender to him of a part of the dominions of Constance. In the war which ensued, Constantine was killed, and Constance took possession of his brother's provinces, refusing any share of them to Constantius. He reigned ten years longer, when he was destroyed, A.D. 350, by a conspiracy in Gaul, headed by one Magnentius. This soldier of barbarian extraction was soon defeated by Constantius, who now became sole emperor. He soon found his burden of power too great, and decided to share it with the two young nephews who had been permitted to live when the massacre of the house of Constantine occurred. To Gallus the elder he gave the title of Caesar, and invested him with the government of the East. Gallus conducted himself like a Nero, and was disgraced and executed about three years later. The younger nephew, Julian, had been brought up in the Christian faith, and received an excellent education, which was finished in the philosophical schools of Athens. He was created Caesar by Constantius, whose sister Helena he married, and was invested with the government of Gaul, Spain, and Britain. Julian's wise, civil administration was very acceptable to the people, and his brilliant military exploits established his fame throughout the empire and won the affection of his soldiers. He repulsed the Alamans and the Franks, sending captives to the court of Constantius. His expeditions beyond the Rhine were crowned with success. He restored the cities of Gaul and stemmed the tide of barbarian invasion. 
all these triumphs had awakened the jealousy of the emperor constantius who was practically ruled by the eunuchs and bishops at his court the rising fortunes of julian had caused envy among many who set about to poison the mind of constantius with innuendos and false suggestions they resolved to disarm julian and to separate him from his army the emperor ordered julian to send his best troops to the war in persia but they forgot that the troops adored julian they overlooked the fact that the soldiers would see through such a scheme to humiliate their commander the gauls also feared the departure of julian's men for they dreaded the attacks of the germans this then was the situation julian attempted to follow the orders of the emperor but fate ordained otherwise the army proclaimed him emperor he refused the honor at first but was forced to assume the dangerous title the war which immediately followed was cut short by the sudden death of constantius and julian became the sole ruler of the roman empire he renounced christianity and is known in history as julian the apostate while the romans languished under the ignominious tyranny of eunuchs and bishops the praises of julian were repeated with transport in every part of the empire except in the palace of constantius the barbarians of germany had felt and still dreaded the arms of the young caesar his soldiers were the companions of his victory the grateful provincials enjoyed the blessings of his reign but the favorites who had opposed his elevation were offended by his virtues and they justly considered the friend of the people as the enemy of the court as long as the fame of julian was doubtful the buffoons in the palace who were skilled in the language of satire tried the efficacy of those arts which they had so often practised with success they easily discovered that his simplicity was not exempt from affectation the ridiculous epithets of a hairy savage of an ape invested with the purple were applied to the dress and person of the philosophic warrior and his modest dispatches were stigmatized as the vain and elaborate fictions of a loquacious greek a speculative soldier who had studied the art of war amid the groves of the academy the voice of malicious folly was at length silenced by the shouts of victory the conqueror of the franks and elemani could no longer be painted as an object of contempt and the monarch himself was meanly ambitious of stealing from his lieutenant the honorable reward of his labors in the letters crowned with laurel which according to ancient custom were addressed to the provinces the name of julian was omitted constantius had made his dispositions in person he had signalized his valor in the foremost ranks his military conduct had secured the victory and the captive king of the barbarians was presented to him on the field of battle from which he was at that time distant about forty days journey so extravagant a fable was incapable however of deceiving the public credulity or even of satisfying the pride of the emperor himself secretly conscious that the applause and favor of the romans accompanied the rising fortunes of julian his discontented mind was prepared to receive the subtle poisons of those artful sycophants who colored their mischievous designs with the fairest appearances of truth and candor 
instead of depreciating the merits of Julian, they acknowledged and even exaggerated his popular fame, superior talents, and important services. But they darkly insinuated that the virtues of the Caesar might instantly be converted into the most dangerous crimes if the inconstant multitude should prefer their inclinations to their duty, or if the general of a victorious army should be tempted from his allegiance by the hopes of revenge and independent greatness. The personal fears of Constantius were interpreted by his council as a laudable anxiety for the public safety, while in private, and perhaps in his own breast, he disguised, under the less odious appellation of fear, the sentiments of hatred and envy which he had secretly conceived for the inimitable virtues of Julian. The apparent tranquillity of Gaul and the imminent danger of the eastern provinces offered a specious pretense for the design which was artfully concerted by the imperial ministers. They resolved to disarm the Caesar, to recall those faithful troops who guarded his person and dignity, and to employ, in a distant war against the Persian monarch, the hardy veterans who had vanquished, on the banks of the Rhine, the fiercest nations of Germany. While Julian used the laborious hours of his winter quarters at Paris in the administration of power, which in his hands was the exercise of virtue, he was surprised by the hasty arrival of a tribune and a notary, with positive orders from the emperor, which they were directed to execute, and he was commanded not to oppose. Constantius signified his pleasure that four entire legions, the Celtiae, the Petulants, the Heruli and the Batavians should be separated from the standard of Julian, under which they had acquired their fame and discipline, that in each of the remaining bands three hundred of the bravest youths should be selected, and that this numerous detachment, the strength of the Gallic army, should instantly begin their march, and exert their utmost diligence to arrive before the opening of the campaign on the frontiers of Persia. Caesar foresaw and lamented the consequences of this fatal mandate. Most of the auxiliaries, who engaged their voluntary service, had stipulated that they should never oblige to pass the Alps. The public faith of Rome and the personal honor of Julian had been pledged for the observance of this condition. Such an act of treachery and oppression would destroy the confidence and excite the resentment of the independent warriors of Germany, who considered truth as the noblest of their virtues, and freedom as the most valuable of their possessions. The legionnaires who enjoyed the title and privileges of Romans were enlisted for the general defense of the Republic. But those mercenary troops heard with cold indifference the antiquated names of the Republic and of Rome. Attached either from birth or long habit to the climate and manners of Gaul, they loved and admired Julian. They despised and perhaps hated the emperor. They dreaded the laborious march, the Persian arrows, and the burning deserts of Asia. They claimed as their own the country which they had saved, and excused their want of spirit by pleading the sacred and more immediate duty of protecting their families and friends. The apprehensions of the Gauls were derived from the knowledge of the impending and inevitable danger. 
as soon as the provinces were exhausted of their military strength the germans would violate a treaty which had been imposed on their fears and notwithstanding the abilities and valor of julian the general of a nominal army to whom the public calamities would be imputed must find himself after a vain resistance either a prisoner in the camp of the barbarians or a criminal in the palace of constantius if julian complied with the orders which he had received he subscribed his own destruction that of a people who deserved his affection but a positive refusal was an act of rebellion and a declaration of war the inexorable jealousy of the emperor the peremptory and perhaps insidious nature of his commands left not any room for a fair apology or a candid interpretation and the dependent station of the caesar scarcely allowed him to pause or to deliberate solitude increased the perplexity of julian he could no longer apply to the faithful counsels of sallust who had been removed from his office by the judicious malice of the eunuchs he could not even enforce his representations by the concurrence of the ministers who would have been afraid or ashamed to approve the ruin of gaul the moment had been chosen when lupicinus the general of the cavalry was dispatched into britain to repulse the inroads of the scots and picts and florentius who occupied at vienna by the assessment of the tribute the latter a crafty and corrupt statesman declining to assume a responsible part on this dangerous occasion eluded the pressing and repeated invitations of julian who represented to him that in every important measure the presence of the prefect was indispensable in the council of the prince in the meanwhile the caesar was oppressed by the rude and importunate solicitations of the imperial messengers who presumed to suggest that if he expected the return of his ministers he would charge himself with the guilt of the delay and reserve for them the merit of the execution unable to resist unwilling to comply julian expressed in the most serious terms his wish and even his intention of resigning the purple which he could not preserve with honor but which he could not abdicate with safety after a painful conflict julian was compelled to acknowledge that obedience was the virtue of the most eminent subject and that the sovereign alone was entitled to judge to the public welfare he issued the necessary orders for carrying into execution the commands of constantius a part of the troops began their march for the alps and the detachments from the several garrisons moved toward their respective places of assembly they advanced with difficulty through the trembling and affrighted crowds of provincials who attempted to excite their pity by silent despair or loud lamentations while the wives of the soldiers holding their infants in their arms accused the desertion of their husbands in the mixed language of grief of tenderness and of indignation this scene of general distress afflicted the humanity of the caesar he granted a sufficient number of post-wagons to transport the wives and families of the soldiers endeavored to alleviate the hardships which he was constrained to inflict and increased by the most laudable arts his own popularity and the discontent of the exiled troops the grief of an armed multitude is soon converted into rage 
their licentious murmurs which every hour were communicated from tent to tent with more boldness and effect prepared their minds for the most daring acts of sedition and by the connivance of their tribunes a seasonable libel was secretly dispersed which painted in lively colors the disgrace of the caesar the oppression of the gallic army and the feeble vices of the tyrant of asia the servants of constantius were astonished and alarmed by the progress of this dangerous spirit they pressed the caesar to hasten the departure of the troops but they imprudently rejected the honest and judicious advice of julian who proposed that they should not march through paris and suggested the danger and temptation of a last interview as soon as the approach of the troops was announced the caesar went out to meet them and ascended his tribunal which had been erected in a plain before the gates of the city after distinguishing the officers and soldiers who by their rank or merit deserved a peculiar attention julian addressed himself in a studied oration to the surrounding multitude he celebrated their exploits with grateful applause encouraged them to accept with alacrity the honor of serving under the eyes of a powerful and liberal monarch and admonished them that the commands of augustus required an instant and cheerful obedience the soldiers who were apprehensive of offending their general by an indecent clamor or of belying their sentiments by false and venal acclamations maintained an obstinate silence and after a short pause were dismissed to their quarters the principal officers were entertained by the caesar who professed in the warmest language of friendship his desire and his inability to reward according to their deserts the brave companions of his victories they retired from the feast full of grief and perplexity and lamented the hardship of their fate which tore them from their beloved general and their native country the only expedient which could prevent their separation was boldly agitated and approved the popular resentment was insensibly moulded into a regular conspiracy their just reasons of complaint were heightened by passion and their passion was inflamed by wine as on the eve of their departure the troops were indulged in licentious festivity at the hour of midnight the impetuous multitude with swords and bows and torches in their hands rushed into the suburbs encompassed the palace and careless of future dangers pronounced the fatal and irrevocable words julian augustus the prince whose anxious suspense was interrupted by their disorderly acclamations secured the doors against their intrusion and as long as it was in his power secluded his person in dignity from the accidents of a nocturnal tumult at the dawn of the day the soldiers whose zeal was irritated by opposition forcibly entered the palace seized with respectful violence the object of their choice guarded julian with drawn swords through the streets of paris placed him on the tribunal and with repeated shouts saluted him as their emperor prudence as well as loyalty inculcated the propriety of resisting their treasonable designs and of preparing for his oppressed virtue the excuse of violence addressing himself by turns to the multitude and to individuals he sometimes implored their mercy 
and sometimes expressed his indignation, conjured them not to sully the fame of their immortal victories, and ventured to promise that if they would immediately return to their allegiance, he would undertake to obtain from the emperor not only a free and gracious pardon, but even the revocation of the orders which had excited their resentment. But the soldiers, who were conscious of their guilt, chose rather to depend on the gratitude of Julian than on the clemency of the emperor. Their zeal was insensibly turned into impatience, and their impatience into rage. The inflexible Caesar sustained, till the third hour of the day, their prayers, their reproaches, and their menaces. Nor did he yield till he had been repeatedly assured that if he wished to live he must consent to reign. He was exalted on a shield in the presence and amid the unanimous acclamations of the troops. A rich military collar, which was offered by chance, supplied the want of a diadem. The ceremony was concluded by the promise of a moderate donative, and the new emperor, overwhelmed with real or affected grief, retired into the most secret recesses of his apartment. The grief of Julian could proceed only from his innocence, but his innocence must appear extremely doubtful in the eyes of those who have learned to suspect the motives and the professions of princes. His lively and active mind was susceptible of the various impressions of hope and fear, of gratitude and revenge, of duty and of ambition, of the love of fame and of the fear of reproach. But it is impossible for us to calculate the respective weight and operation of these sentiments, or to ascertain the principles of action which might escape the observation, while they guided, or rather impelled, the steps of Julian himself. The discontent of the troops was produced by the malice of his enemies. Their tumult was the natural effect of interest and of passion, and if Julian had tried to conceal a deep design under the appearances of chance, he must have employed the most consummate artifice without necessity and probably without success. He solemnly declares in the presence of Jupiter, of the Sun, of Mars, of Minerva, and of all the other deities, that till the close of the evening, which preceded his elevation, he was utterly ignorant of the designs of the soldiers. And it may seem ungenerous to distrust the honor of a hero and the truth of a philosopher. Yet the superstitious confidence that Constantius was the enemy, and that he himself was the favorite of the gods, might prompt him to desire, to solicit, and even to hasten the auspicious moment of his reign, which was predestined to restore the ancient religion of mankind. When Julian had received the intelligence of the conspiracy, he resigned himself to a short slumber, and afterward related to his friends that he had seen the genius of the empire waiting with some impatience at his door, pressing for admittance, and reproaching his want of spirit and ambition. Astonished and perplexed, he addressed his prayers to the great Jupiter, who immediately, signified by a clear and manifest omen, that he should submit to the will of heaven and of the army. The conduct which disclaims the ordinary maxims of reason excites our suspicion and eludes our inquiry. 
whenever the spirit of fanaticism at once so credulous and so crafty has insinuated itself into a noble mind it insensibly corrodes the vital principles of virtue and veracity to moderate the zeal of his party to protect the persons of his enemies to defeat and to despise the secret enterprises which were formed against his life and dignity were the cares which employed the first days of his reign of the new emperor although he was firmly resolved to maintain the station which he had assumed he was still desirous of saving his country from the calamities of civil war of declining a contest with the superior forces of constantius and of preserving his own character from the reproach of perfidy and ingratitude adorned with the ensigns of military and imperial pomp julian showed himself in the field of mars to the soldiers who glowed with ardent enthusiasm in the cause of their pupil their leader and their friend he recapitulated their victories lamented their sufferings applauded their resolution animated their hopes and checked their impetuosity nor did he dismiss the assembly till he had obtained a solemn promise from the troops that if the emperor of the east would subscribe an equitable treaty they would renounce any views of conquest and satisfy themselves with the tranquil possession of the gallic provinces on this foundation he composed in his own name and in that of the army a specious and moderate epistle which was delivered to pendatius his master of the offices and to his chamberlain eutherius two ambassadors whom he appointed to receive the answer and observe the disposition of constantius the epistle is inscribed with the modest appellation of caesar but julian solicits in a peremptory though respectful manner the confirmation of the title of augustus he acknowledges the irregularity of his own election while he justifies in some measure the resentment and violence of the troops which had extorted his reluctant consent he allows the supremacy of his brother constantius and engages to send him an annual present of spanish horses to recruit his army with a select number of barbarian youths and to accept from his choice a praetorian prefect of approved discretion and fidelity but he reserves for himself the nomination of his other civil and military officers with the troops the revenue and the sovereignty of the provinces beyond the alps he admonishes the emperor to consult the dictates of justice to distrust the arts of those venal flatterers who subsist only by the discord of princes and to embrace the offer of a fair and honorable treaty equally advantageous to the republic and the house of constantine in this negotiation julian claimed no more than he already possessed the delegated authority which he had long exercised over the provinces of gaul spain and britain was still obeyed under a name more independent and august the soldiers and the people rejoiced in a revolution which was not stained even by the blood of the guilty florentius was a fugitive lupicinus a prisoner the persons who were disaffected to the new government were disarmed and secured and the vacant offices were distributed according to the recommendation of merit by a prince 
who despised the intrigues of the palace and the clamors of the soldiers the negotiations of peace were accompanied and supported by the most vigorous preparations for war the army which julian held in readiness for immediate action was recruited and augmented by the disorders of the times the cruel persecution of the faction of magnentius had filled gaul with numerous bands of outlaws and robbers they cheerfully accepted the offer of a general pardon from a prince whom they could trust submitted to the restraints of military discipline and retained only their implacable hatred to the person and government of constantius End of section thirty four